Good evening. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, and you're listening to the Elchar Chronicles. I'm your host, Karen Elchar. This program chronicles issues of law and order and our local justice system, the environment, and indigenous history with special guests that dig deep into topics less talked about here in the Lehigh Valley. So tonight's conversation is with Northampton County District Attorney Terrence Houck. Hello, Terry. Good evening. Thank you so much for being with us. Let me uh, just give a bit of an introduction for you. So you graduated from the Philadelphia Police Academy, served as an officer with the Philadelphia Police Department for over nine years. You have a Bachelor of Arts in Criminal Justice from LaSalle University. One thing that I found quite impressive was you have a Master of Arts in Human Organization Science from Villanova University, and you are one of my compatriots. You have a Juris Doctor from Temple University. You've been District Attorney since January 2020, sworn in as your first term in Northampton County, and you've been with us ever since. Thank you so much. So let's get to the matter. Earlier this month, there was a press release regarding a transfer of part-time drug task force into a full-time drug task force. So what was the major impetus uh, in moving to full-time? Well, Karen, uh, of course, it had everything in the world to do with the the opioid crisis that we're constantly in the middle of. uh, uh, Fentanyl, uh, the opioids coming into Northampton County, uh, it just got to a point where I felt that we need to, we needed to, as as a law enforcement ent- entity, we needed to concentrate more fully. And I, I thought that a full time devoted task force uh, was something that we had to do in response to that. So, does the full time does the mission of the full time task force differ from what it was as part time? Not really. No, it, it, the mission itself isn't any different. But uh, the the uh, I guess the the concentration is because uh, under under our part time task force, which was very effective, by the way, and we had it for a good twenty years. Um, you know, we used officers from around the county, uh, but it was more interchangeable, and they were still uh, working obviously full uh, shifts with their departments. Uh, we asked a lot of these officers, and, and uh, you know, we'd bring them in for certain investigations that we had. The full-time drug task force are experienced officers that we brought in and are dedicated fully to this task, um, and they'll be doing nothing else. Uh, they, uh, they have been uh, loaned, loan, I guess, for lack of a better word, from departments that, that showed great uh, foresight, by the way, uh, in giving us these officers to allow us to have them concentrate full-time on, on drug investigations and uh, drug prosecutions here in Northampton County. The purpose of this, when I was first thinking of it and, and deciding on whether or not I should do it, was I'm trying to figure out a way that we could save some lives, okay? Um, and what we, what we seem to be getting increases in are drug deliveries resulting in death. Now, uh, it, the old way, the way that the things were done, and I'm going back years and years, was that when somebody uh, overdosed and, and, and passed away as a result of that o- overdose, it would be a tragic death, and that would be the end of it. But now that you know, now that we have this crime of over over uh, um, drug deliveries resulting in death, um, we treat each and every uh, overdose death as a crime because this person got these drugs from somewhere and. And so I think in that way, 
uh, it, when we focus on how these how these people get these drugs and things of that nature, that we have a better shot at getting rid of them, at least from a law enforcement uh, uh, standpoint. So uh, the, the focus t- here was to save lives. It was to concentrate on the drug deliveries resulting in death. And more importantly, it was to get these officers the specialized training uh, in this type of investigation that we needed. Approximately how many officers do you actually have for this task force? Well, we, we have officers that are representative from around the county. We have uh, small small boroughs. We have uh, a couple bigger departments, uh, county detectives, and we have a, a, a state police presence as well. Um, and the idea here is that um, we get them from everywhere. Uh, so we have upwards right now of, of approximately, give or take, maybe 10 um, but that's a fluid number, so um, and we'll be adding and subtracting as as uh, as we go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, they're uh, they're pretty much dedicated full time to this. And you mentioned already that they've received or they have specialized training. Can you give an yeah. example of what type of training? Sure. We asked the officers. The majority of the officers in this task force are. Um, they were trained uh, in uh, drug investigators to begin with, um, and and now that they're here, they'll receive that they've been receiving additional. And I and I did this even with the part-time drug task force to the extent that they were available to do so. I got them uh, increased training in, on investigation and prosecution of drug deliveries resulting in death, what to look for, evidence, and things of that nature. I mean, th- that crime is very difficult to prove because obviously. Uh, your witness in that case is dead, um, and any other witnesses uh, are usually participating in some illegal activity like uh, doing drugs or possessing drugs, so they're difficult to track down. So you have to, you have to investigate many avenues. I mean, um, you know, cell phones and, and evidence found at the scene, uh, toxicologies and things of that nature, which uh, requires a specialized training. You also mentioned that your task force is comprised of officers from various jurisdictions. So one question heavy on my mind is, how did you, how did you get the officers from the different jurisdictions? Because most of the time, each municipality, the officers operate only within their municipalities. What mechanism did you use to get everyone to agree? Yeah, that was, that was, the, that was the lion's share of this job here. I mean, it was, it, you know, in this environment right now, uh, Police and we have it across law enforcement. It's you have difficulty um, staffing, um, but uh, we had a number of police chiefs, and I'm very very thankful for them um, that uh, saw the saw the uh, you know the advantages of something like this and provided us with an with an officer. Uh, so the officer is still is still an officer of the jurisdiction in which they came, uh, but. You know, for any of the investigations, any type of overtime or anything like that, um, we we pay them through our drug forfeiture funds, which is money we take from uh, drug dealers to begin with. So anything that any money that we're we're spending on this uh, drug task force is being is money that we got already from drug dealers, and we're turning it against them. We're not using taxpayer dollars for this. Um, and these these officers. They have countywide jurisdiction. When they come into our task force, uh, for lack of a better term, they're, cut, they're, they're considered uh, 
county detectives for purposes of their job so that they'll be able to go into Easton or Bethlehem or Bethlehem Township or Rosetto or uh, Lehigh Township, anywhere in Northampton County. So then you have really a great advantage of having them work together as a team. How do you continue to foster that? Yeah, this is the defining thing of the, of the, of the whole uh, full-time drug task force. This team, this team approach um, allows them, allows a continuity and a, and a consistency in that if they begin investigations in whatever jurisdiction, uh, they, they, they see it through because they're full-time. Uh, they'll enlist the help of, of, of local jurisdictions if they need it. And the local jurisdictions that provided these officers also saw the benefit of this because instead of a, a local jurisdiction having one officer that investigates narcotics or something like that, they now know they have a, a task force, so if they have a problem area, they just have to pick up the phone and then we'll have the team in there. Uh, and this team, this team, because they're uh, dedicated full-time, are able to cultivate uh, confidential informants and uh, also law, other law enforcement agencies like uh, federal agencies and other state agencies, you know, there, there's this continuity where they're always dealing with the same person because, uh, because they're full-time, as opposed to when the, the, the uh, part-time task force was, was in effect. Um, it's, it was pretty much whatever officer you got. So mm-hmm. uh, relationships get better. Um, uh, con- uh, experience gets better relationships with confidential informants and things of that nature, which helps investigations, uh, gets more intense. And, uh, and you're able to concentrate more on these areas, especially the smaller departments that don't have the manpower, uh, to uh, you know, root out some problems there as well. So have these, has this team of officers, have they worked together on other activities in the past? Uh, some of them have. Not all of them, but some of them have, yes. Uh, and they all are right now. So the communication then amongst them works really well. Yeah, it's it's constant, and and that's a big part of this is is that the, the line of communications remains open, um, and it's better toward the departments uh, that uh, are seeking the help because they know who they're dealing with with respect to the drug task force and the people that they're uh, talking with. So uh, that communi- that line of communication is better as well. And then I presume this is also something that is operational 24 hours a day, seven days yes. a week, 365. That is, that is correct. They have their own base of operation. Um, and this was a, another part of the coordination. And, 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 you know, in addition to the, uh, the chiefs of police that were, that were so uh, helpful and critical to this in providing us officers, we also, um, we also had to go to uh, uh, township managers and, and uh, you know, township councils to get approval with, there's a base of operation uh, that the that the uh, drug task force has out of the Colonial Regional uh, Police Department area, and uh, it took uh, it took the foresight and the cooperation from from the township uh, managers and supervisors to uh, uh, permit us to have this, uh, you know, and that you know we're uh, you know just allowing us to to use one of their buildings as a standalone type of facility for the drug task force. So. I was very grateful to them as well. Oh, it's uh, wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful having everyone cooperate with each other and across it, jurisdictions. Yes, it, yes, it is. And uh, you know, I mean, it it, uh, it it took some doing 
because you know they're give, you know they give up when you're giving when you're asking them to give you something uh or you know there's always some reluctance but when you lay it out it, it's it's refreshing and and uh, good to see how they just you know really took it and jumped right on board to, because they saw the importance of this this mm-hmm. venture so what can our listeners actually do to help well understand well first off uh, there, there's, uh, I would pick up the phone if if they if they saw anything they're suspicious of. A lot of times, what we see is, you know, neighbors when they observe something in their neighborhood, they know something's amiss, but they they don't want to bother anybody because they're not quite sure if well maybe this isn't something. And so, but if it ever gets to the point where you're just thinking, yeah, this just isn't right, then have them call the police department or call here at the district attorney's office and, you know, report it. And, you know, they can stay anonymous. They don't have to, you know, give their name or anything like that. And, and ultimately, we'll track that down and decide whether or not there's merit to it. But there's nothing, you know, if it doesn't pan out, that, 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 that isn't, that's no big deal to us. If it, and if it does, you know, all the better. Mm. Is there a tip line since you mentioned people can call in? There is, the district attorney's office has a tip line. They just have to go if they have, if they're on Facebook or or anything like that. Just go on the district attorney's, and they'll be led right to the tip line. Um, and then they can just type it in. And uh, that's if, if that's if they want to call. If they if they want to just call their local police department and leave a message, they could say, "Oh, this is going on. I'm, I'm observing this at such and such a corner." And then they'll get immediate police response uh, uh, to for that. Who will then contact us? So either way, they can they can get in touch with us very easily. Mm-hmm. To report a tip, you can also call 1-877-PA-NO-DRUGS or 1-877-723-7847. That's 1-877-723-7847. So, D.A. Houck, what's the common public misconception that your office and this task force face? Sometimes the pushback that we get from this is that, you know, you're not solving anything and you're not, you know, and you know, I'm not here to solve the drug problem. I mean, this is a law enforcement uh, approach to it. Now, you know, I, there are other great ways to, to, to attack this opioid abuse. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's education and there's, you know, there's, there's ways to go at uh, people that are addicted and things like that. And sometimes people get a little upset because they think, you know, we're trying to to cure this problem by making arrests or, you know, that kind of thing. It's really not the case. I mean, when we come upon a death, you know, we have to investigate that and, you know, we have to try to get these drug dealers out of out of our area and that's the law enforcement way to try to go about this but it's certainly not an end all and be all to the to the opioid problem you know what i mean yeah education um, goes a long way quite frankly oh it really it, yeah, yeah it really does and 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 sometimes people get a little tight because they think what we're saying here is that the answer to the opioid problem is is sending cops out to arrest people and that's not we're more responsive than anything else the problem already exists and we're just trying to try address to, it yes yeah yes. Well, it's been wonderful speaking with you, Terry. Um, It's always a pleasure having you on the program. So thank you. My guest has been Terry Houck, Northampton County District Attorney. We've had an excellent conversation regarding Northampton County's full-time drug task force. Thank you so much for joining me, Terry. As usual, Karen, thank you so much for for having me, and thank you for your interest in, in these community ventures. I appreciate it greatly. Coming up next, we welcome State Representative Peter Schweier. 
member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives serving the people of the 22nd Legislative District in Lehigh County. Do stay tuned as we continue with Elchar Chronicles. WDIY News engages the Lehigh Valley with accurate, unbiased reporting from many sources with volunteer, real voices providing context and definition for thought. For WDIY News, I'm Sarit Lashinsky. For WDIY News, I'm Marcy Lightwood. For WDIY News, I'm Mike Flynn. Listen to WDIY News during Morning Edition, fresh air and all things considered daily here on WDIY, streaming on WDIY.org and on the WDIY phone app. Welcome back to the Elchar Chronicles. Our second segment this evening focuses on environmental impact and carbon-free initiatives. And I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, Pennsylvania State Representative Peter Schweier. He's a member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, serving the people of the 22nd Legislative District in Lehigh County. He was first elected to this office in 2014 after being twice elected to Allentown City Council. His legislative priorities include protecting and expanding access to health insurance, appropriately funding Pennsylvania's public schools, and supporting policies to spur the creation of more family-sustaining jobs in the Lehigh Valley. He also supports investment in sustainable alternative energy. State Representative Schweier serves as Deputy Whip in the House Democratic Caucus, and he's a member of several committees, including... He's Minority Chair for the House Consumer Affairs Subcommittee on Utilities. With that said, when I hear utilities, I start to think of climate change and reducing carbon footprint. And so what are your thoughts on that? First of all, thank you, Karen. Thank you for the opportunity. If your listeners don't know, uh, we go back a long time uh, as our paths have crossed a a number of times uh, with the city and previously with with the Commonwealth and just know that I appreciate all that you do for our community here. But yes, I, I, I fundamentally believe that uh, one of the great uh, missed opportunities that we have, at least from a public standpoint, on addressing the, the issues of climate change and addressing the, the issues of overall pollution, whether it's uh, our carbon footprint, whether it's alternative energy, those sorts of things, uh, is, is, by, is by failing to recognize, or at least the public's, uh, overall belief that the, that the, that, that that could happen with electric vehicles and things along those lines. Really, the biggest bang for our buck, at least from my understanding and my perspective, is really working on the utility side. Whether it's reducing, uh, the overall energy loss from bad power lines to ensuring a grid that is filled with more renewable sources or at least carbon-free sources of electricity. We that that um, that committee takes a great amount of pride and a lot of uh, and we do a great amount of work on on all of those issues. And in fact, you know, even though I sort of said that electric vehicles aren't necessarily the number one concern that we have, uh, we are still doing all the the legislation on the electric vehicle charging stations and all that stuff. So this committee is extraordinarily important for uh, for the overall future of our planet. It's very important for our. Our, our Pennsylvania um, ecology and our Pennsylvania 
and and how we're doing in terms of mitigating our our carbon footprint and redu- reducing our impact on on climate change. And I'm really proud to serve on that committee. So what are some of the real tangible kinds of initiatives that can be undertaken, whether that's through businesses, yes, government, obviously, but the businesses, residents, anyone? Sure. So there's an interesting uh, thing where we we have uh, a, a really powerful tool in Pennsylvania called Pennsylvania Power Switch, paid power switch, which allows consumers, either residential consumers or, or large consumers, big businesses, uh, to purchase their energy supplier of choice. And what that means is when, when you get your PPL bill, uh, PPL is taking electricity from the various power plants, whether it's a coal plant or a solar field, and transmitting it along big transmission lines and then taking it to the substations and putting it into the distribution lines so that you can plug in your iPhone charger at home. And, uh, and that's their core business. But you get one bill that also includes the cost of the generation side. You as a consumer, again, if you live in a one-bedroom apartment in downtown Allentown or if you're the owner of a big factory somewhere, you can choose your energy supply, the energy generation. So you can go with the cheapest, which is usually going to be a coal or natural gas-based energy mix, or you could do what I do and about 65% of consumers do, which is choose that they use this tool choose uh, carbon-free or renewable sources of electricity. So we put the choice of where you buy your electricity uh, from in the hands of consumers. And so many Pennsylvanians are actually choosing carbon-free alternatives, like like I said, like I did. So the PA Power Switch website is a very important tool for us. Um, We're also in the process of ongoing conversations about uh, again, electrification for uh, for electric vehicles. That's something that you're going to be hearing quite a bit about. Uh, and hopefully, I, I, I haven't given up hope that we're going to be able to push forth uh, a new community solar package. We're not quite there yet. There's some pretty significant sticking points. But the concept is pretty basic. Just like we have community gardens. You know, Karen, you know that I live in a, a, a modest twin in the south side of Allentown, and not everybody in the city has space to have a nice big garden, right? So you can rent a plot of land from the county, and you can have a nice community garden. Well, same thing from the perspective of solar. So many residents rent an apartment, or they have a row home, or the house faces in the wrong direction. But they would like to own solar panels to offset their costs and also offset uh, our, our carbon emissions. And they can't do that. So we're looking at authorization, legislative that, legislation that would authorize the development of community solar, which is very similar to a, to a community garden, just with solar panels. So there's a lot of stuff that we're looking at that we're getting some bipartisan support in a state where we have a Democratic governor and a Republican-controlled legislature. Nothing happens if it's not bipartisan. And we're, we're, we're working very hard to try to find some of those, uh, some of those smaller solutions while... You know, the federal government continues to look at, at, at broader solutions to reduce the overall carbon emissions. So when we're talking about the power grid, so overall, what's the condition of the state power grid? So our, our grid, and most of our listeners here on this particular program are going to be familiar with PPL. That's our electric supply distribution company here in the Lehigh Valley, and our grid is very strong. PPL does an incredible job of maintaining our grid. And so, uh, so 
there's there's not a lot of loss of electricity on our relatively speaking very modern grid. PPL doesn't accept, like you said, does an exceptional job with it. The long term demands on the grid are going to increase, however, and 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 it's going to increase based on customer demands and customer uh, and 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 the, uh, changing marketplace, because as Ford continues to enter the marketplace for electric vehicles. And as Chevy and GM does the same, and as more people are able to afford things like Teslas, coupled with uh, really big changes in big vehicles. So Mack Trucks, for example, is building electrified and, and battery, uh, battery tr- uh, uh, semi-trucks. And they're building, um, they're, they're building new uh, garbage trucks that are going to be electric-based. As there are more and more electric vehicles, the grid, the actual wires that deliver the electricity from power plants, again, whether it's from a coal plant or from a solar array or a hydro plant or something, those wires, the, that grid is going to have to be improved. And so the real question is, in, is the grid stable now? We have an exceptional grid, grid throughout this region because we have a, a very good company that does a very good job. But ultimately, we're going to have to expand it and increase capacity. And the real question is going to be who's paying for it. You know, because all of us pay to maintain the grid, but who's going to really pay for that expansion of it? And we're we're not there yet from a public policy standpoint, but those conversations are ongoing. And uh, and thanks to the federal government, we have a little bit of money to play around with now. So we're we're looking at we're looking at at, at ways to make that happen so that we can we can work on expanding the grid so that it also is able to support not only our hospitals and our schools and our homes, but also the, the future demand for electric vehicles. So let me turn, as opposed to just talking potentially just from the utility standpoint, but overall within the House of Representatives, and even if you go across the aisle to the Senate, um, how much support is there actually for moving forward on various environmental initiatives? More so than people think. But I want to be very clear about this. Remember, the state is an interesting state because we have a Democratic governor and a Republican-controlled legislature in both the House and Senate. And, and the way that we are going to be able to get more interest in, in, in environmentally friendly legislation is, frankly, through negotiation and also looking at things not necessarily from a cultural standpoint, but looking at things from, a, uh, from, a, from an economic standpoint. I'll give you an example. We have some barren lands throughout Pennsylvania. We have old farmland that is not uh, producing as it should. Uh, there are old coal mines that, and wells that have been capped, but you can't really dig underneath them. You can't build a strip mall. You can't build an apartment complex. You can't really do much with that land. It's, it's, it's fallow land. Most of this land exists in conservative Republican areas of the Commonwealth, just by nature of political dynamics and everything. So we know that by working with uh, organizations, one of our best partners has been the Farm Bureau, uh, working with organizations like the Farm Bureau on pushing forth more and more uh, efforts to re- 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 use, bring that land back to, to, to have some kind of value to it. And solar arrays are a great way to do that. Um, so, you know, a farmer, instead of having to sell land or, or pay taxes on a, on a piece of property that's not producing any income for him or her, 
they can lease that out or, 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 or build a solar array. You're just going to see more and more of those things. More and more uh, old coal mines that, again, they're unstable. You're not building a, you know, you're not building a shopping mall on them. But it's stable enough that you can put a solar array in. You're going to see more and more of that, I think. And so the, the way about these conversations, it has to be meaningful to folks who maybe are from an area of the world or they used to have coal mining, or they're in an area of the world that is heavily reliant on natural gas production, and and explain to them that there's a way for all of this to exist at the same time. Uh, there's another fuel source that's an interesting one that's starting to get more and more interest in Pennsylvania, also something that we're looking at through the Consumer Affairs Committee, which is hydrogen. Hydrogen is a byproduct of fossil fuels, but it's a clean byproduct product of fossil fuels. So there's, there's a great deal of hydrogen that we can use the existing pipelines. Instead of piping natural gas or oil through, we can actually pipe clean hydrogen through and use that as a fuel source as well for industrial uses and eventually uh, for, for engines. All of these are options that are on the table. For us, all of these are getting a great deal of, uh, of, of interest. And, uh, and, and until... We 100% cracked the code on fusion technology, uh, even though I know that there's significant progress made on it. Until that happens, we're going to be looking for these these significant steps that will reduce our carbon footprint, but also impact positively every area of the of the Commonwealth, not just from an environmental standpoint, but from an economic standpoint as well. So, looking at appropriations, then, so yeah. what kind of funding is out there to move forward with some of these projects? So, electrification being one of them, or looking at hydrogen. So, we're still relying on our on, on the on the private the private sector for a lot of it. We are, uh, you know, we're a state that has been uh, very fiercely pro uh, private sector, uh, and and as a result of which. And we were one of the, we were, we were a state that moved towards deregulation of our energy industry very very quickly um, in the you know started in the late nineties and the caps came off in uh, the the early parts of the of two thousand and 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 what I mean by all of that is and why I frame it in that conversation is we're not going to get there without significant investment and buy in from our private sector so the hydrogen is really interesting for example because the hydrogen exists. It's owned by private uh, private companies as a byproduct. The pipelines already exist. That's something that's owned uh, by the private corporations. And it, so that one, there's not a big funding stream that I've ever been asked for to be helpful on. Uh, the grid and the electrification, that one's a little bit trickier because the, the, the natural and the, the obvious way to pay for an expanded grid is just to add a fee onto the... Uh, onto people's PPL bills. But we can't do that right now. I mean, you know, with with gas prices, petroleum prices being where they are, uh, there's no there's no desire to do that in the legislature from Democrats or Republicans. So we're going to have to look towards alternative methods. One of the things that we can that we're kicking about, there are new federal monies for electrification that came out of the uh, I believe the transportation package, but it could also be one of the one of the uh, uh, stimulus packages post COVID from the uh, President Biden's administration. So we have federal money for some of this, and uh, and there there is absolutely going to be a way for us to uh, to tap into that so that we're able to move the ball forward. The question is, can we move the ball forward quick enough 
uh, to meet consumer demand. Mm. So speaking of the consumer, so from our listeners' perspective, where can they and myself, in fact, learn more about your efforts as far as environmental activities are concerned? Yeah, so we're, we're going to be doing a little bit more on our social media. So facebook.com backslash Rep Schweier. That is a government-controlled uh, or an official uh, Facebook page. That's not a political one. I want to be clear about that for everybody that's listening. Uh, also, my I have a very good newsletter uh, that that I put out every other week. That's a digital one. It's it's no cost to sign up to. Again, that's an official newsletter, and you can get all that information on my website, which is a very unfortunate uh, website URL, but it's www.pahouse.com backslash Schweier. You get in, get information there. You can sign up for the email blast and and and. Uh, and uh, just sort of kind of follow what we're doing that way. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about? Anything you'd like to share about other projects? We are in the middle of budget negotiation right now. So this is the time of year where we have a big flurry of legislative activity in addition to the budget time. There's a lot that we're working on from education funding to um, uh, investment in different healthcare initiatives. So there's a lot that we're working on right now. And, and because since we're all up there for budget negotiations, there tends to be a flurry of legislative activity. We've had some uh, very important local victories. Uh, I'll give you an example. The House passed a, a really good uh, bill that will reduce uh, fireworks. The Senate passed a very good bill that will uh, reduce the amount of, uh, of dirt bike activity uh, in our community, something that you and I, uh, Zalantown folks, mm-hmm. uh, understand. Both of those are real quality of life initiatives. So we're, we are working on some pretty significant legislation. We've had some successes lately, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and it's a large part due to the fact that that's the time of year that we're in. Yeah, well, coming to a close, I certainly thank you for all this great information, and especially because of the efforts you're, you're moving forward on from the environmental perspective, as well as r- reducing um, activities, identifying and working with ATV and dirt bike issues. My pleasure. So I'd like to thank you very much for speaking with us this evening, and I'm certainly will be hearing more from you in the future. Thank you so much. My pleasure, and thank you and you to your listeners. Thank you. And my guest has been State Representative Peter Schweier, member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, serving the people of the 22nd Legislative District in Lehigh County. Thank you, listeners, for making time for this conversation. You can also find past episodes and other public affairs programming at WDIY.org and on major podcast platforms. I'm Karen Elchar, and this is WDIY 88.1 FM. Tune in next Thursday for more Lehigh Valley Discourse, and we'll see you next time on the Elchar Chronicles.